<laughs> I think I need to start keeping some wardrobe changes here. Man, I love it. I love it. Um, I didn't have extra pants, but, you know, that's okay. That's okay. How we doing? Good. That is a very short sprint. But, like, when you're racing the clock, it seems like eternity. And you don't got eternity to come up with a video. Uh, this morning, I want to I wanna just ask maybe some simple questions to start off. Is that cool? I think for a lot of us, um, I love that we're awake also this morning. That's awesome. Uh, I think for a lot of us in life, we've asked this question. We've even answered this question multiple times. The question of what do you do in life? Has anybody been asked that question? Has anybody ask somebody else that question. So what do you do in life, right? That's one of the first things we ask people when we get to know them, when we start to talk to them and what that looks like. But what if, what if that question is not quite as important as a second question? What if that question is not as important of not what, but maybe a different word, a different question? See, a lot of times we seek, well, what do you do in your job? What do you do in your life? What do you do in your family? I think there's a bigger question that needs to be answered. And I think when we understand the bigger question, the other question, it defines our what we do in our life much greater. There's a guy, his name is um, Michael Jr. He's, uh, I'd say he's a good buddy of mine. I've never met him before, but I love watching his stuff. He's a cool dude. And uh, he has this short little video where he talks about this exact same thing. And so we're going to play that video for you. Check it out and listen very carefully about it's not so much what, but rather there's a bigger question to be answered. Check it out. So you're a musical director. Yes, cool. sir. All right, so um, let me get a couple. Let me get a couple bars of like uh, "Amazing Grace." Can you do the first part of that? Let me, go ahead. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch. Like me. Wow. That brought could sing. You know what I'm saying? All right, all right. Um, now, once you give me the version, is if uh, your uncle just got out of jail, you got shot in the back when you was a kid. I'm just saying, let me see the hood version real quick. If you, you know which version I'm talking about, just see if that exists. Let me see what you got. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch Okay, um, here's what I want you to catch. 
The first time I asked him to sing, he knew what he was doing. The second time, he knew why he was doing it. When you know your why, your what becomes more impactful because you're walking towards or in your purpose. When you know your why, your what becomes more impactful because you're walking towards or in your purpose. What if the question isn't what you do in life, but rather, why do I do this in life? These past few weeks, we've been looking at kind of this bigger picture of the Bible in this series, Pursued. We've been looking at a bigger picture of the Bible. We're kind of zooming out and seeing kind of the Bible through four lenses, so to say, four acts. The first one, creation. So the past few weeks, we look at the grander vision of what God is doing and he, what he has been doing. We've not only been seeing what, but also seeing the why behind it all. There was not just that he created uh, creation and everything, but the why behind it. We understand that he created Sabbath, but the why behind it. We understand that he created his temple and that we are his temple, but why behind it, that we are his image bearers. So there's a bigger why. And when we understand our greater why, we understand the what much deeper. And here's a, here's a simple but a, a very true reality. God created each and every one of us on purpose for a purpose. And for some of us, we might struggle with what we are here to do or what we are called to do in life or what job we are called to have or what we're supposed to do in our family. But at the end of the day, our, our purpose, our purpose is very, very, very clear. Our purpose is that, is that when we understand and when we know what we are to do, but why we actively become his conduit for blessing to the world. It's not so much what we do, but rather why we do it. It's because God has created us on purpose to be his conduit in the manifestation of his love and his presence to the world. When we talked not that many weeks ago about what it means for us to be the hands and feet of Jesus, that we are his active living temple, what does that mean for us? Is that means we embody the message. We embody the message. And God's purpose for man is to be his conduit. God's purpose for man is to be his manifestation of him to the world around us. So when people see us, they see him. And what's interesting is we're going to kind of hang out for the most part in one story, but I'm going to kind of bullet maybe a few other stories within that. But the main story that I want to focus on today is one that probably for some of us, if we've grown up in the church, have heard. And if you haven't grown up in the church, I'll kind of give you a little I don't know, cliffhanger version or whatever, cliff notes version. It's a story of a man named Abraham. And the story I want to talk about today is a story where God tells him to do something very specific, something that for many of us, when we read it, seems so far-fetched, but yet we have to understand that back in those days, the thing that God asked Abraham to do is not all that uncommon. See, in Genesis 22, it's not going to be on your screen. Uh, this is what it says uh, in verse 2, Genesis 22, verse 2. This is what it says. God said to Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. Go to the region of Moriah 
and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain, I will show you. So for us in our Western Christianity context, we hear or we read this story, and our first thought is, God, have you lost your mind? Come on, somebody, right? So like, you are asking Abraham to give up his only son and not just give him up, but rather it literally says as a burnt offering. I might just be reading the actual text, burnt offering. I can put two and two together and figure out what that means, right? So God tells Abraham what to do. Sacrifice his son. And here's the interesting thing is in that short one verse, God doesn't give him the why. He says, this is what you should do. Sacrifice your son. So much like us, even in times, we have a choice to make. God will give us the what, and we have a choice to make. Do we follow in obedience? Or do we do what we want to do? Take a look at what happens later on in the story, verses 17 through 18. This is what it says. I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities for their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Now, if I were just to put this on the screen for some of us, if we didn't grow up with this story, you probably now are thinking Abraham killed his son and burnt him all just to please God. The good news is this, is that as Abraham was about to sacrifice his son, God provided a ram stuck in the thickets. But it's because of Abraham's obedience, willingness to obey God. Even when he didn't understand the why, he knew the what, but not the why. But because he walked in obedience, God provided another way. What's interesting about this is God tells him to sacrifice your son, but why? He gets the why after his obedience. Because through your obedience, I will bless you. Through your obedience, I will make descendants numerous as the stars and as numerous as the sand. And I will bless many nations because of your obedience. There's a willingness to embrace God's heart and desires above his own. And through that, God promises more than what even Abraham could understand here. We have to know that this moment, this promise, this covenant with Abraham is this beautiful picture of Christ yet to come. Hundreds of years later, Christ will come. The blessing Christ comes from this line of Abraham. The spirit is fulfilling the blessing. Church is going to multiply because of this moment. Victories through this act of obedience. It's laying the groundwork for many many to follow because we might get the what, but we might not understand the why. But when we walk in obedience, God will surely show us the why. Many victories will be had because Abraham set the groundwork. See, when we understand the why of what we do, everything changes. Don't believe me. Look ahead in the New Testament. Ephesians uh, chapter two. This is not on your screen either. There's this moment where Paul here is writing to the church in Ephesus. And this is what he says, verses 19 through 22. You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. We're seeing an inclusive acceptance of all people into the body of Christ here, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus being the very cornerstone. Christ Jesus being the very cornerstone. 
And in him, the whole building is joined together. And it rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives in his spirit. You see, again, again, what is God doing? God has perfectly designed his temple, each and every one of us, each and every one of his people to fit together with Christ being our cornerstone, with Christ being the one who sets everything into the proper place and the proper alignment. And what he is doing and why he is doing it is clear. What he is doing is building a holy temple. Why is he doing it? To join together the body of Christ, to be a dwelling place of God. First Peter, he even writes about it. Peter writes about it in his verses two, or chapter two, four through five. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also live in our like living stones, being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Again, this imagery of living stones, living stones, and then Christ being the living stone, and through Christ, we become living stones. It's a beautiful picture of what the spiritual temple looks like. How we are called as Christians to be living stones to model this, to show this, and demonstrate this to our world. But why is God doing this? Right? It's to make his people a royal priesthood, to be set apart from the world. Holy. The mission of the church has never changed. From the very beginning, the mission of the church has never changed. We have to understand that, right? We have to get this. It's not like all of a sudden they joined together and they sat down at a round table and they said, you know what? Let's redo our mission and vision statement. The one Jesus gave us, it's a little outdated. It's not like they did that. It's never changed. The mission and the vision of the church has never changed. That It's always been for us to be a conduit of blessing to reach, impact, and lead people to the person of Jesus. This has always been our mission, that we are to be a conduit of blessing to reach, impact, and lead people to the person of Jesus, that we get to be the manifestation through his Holy Spirit to the world around us. If you joined us back in, I want to say it was October, November, we, we did a series where we talked about five zeros. We recently joined the Zero Collective, and as part of this network, we have such an emphasis on five zeros. And ultimately, our goal is to see zero people unchanged by Jesus Christ. Can you imagine a world, can you imagine your neighborhood? The street you live on, where everybody on that street knows and walks in the presence of God. Can you imagine the difference that could make? Can you imagine the difference it would make if we really could go after and see zero lost people in our world? Zero lost people in our communities? For some of us, that even means zero lost people in our own house. And for others of us, we're struggling with this, this tension of, well, what do I do? Why do I do it? What about walking in zero unfulfilled callings? 
that God has placed a call in our life that we walk in it to see the ultimate goal of zero unchanged people. See, we have always been called to do this. And we all play a significant role in this. It's not just that I'm the one playing a significant role because I got a loud mouth and a microphone on. I'm not the only one out there doing it. God has called each and every one of us to be, to be ones to bring the good news to others. As I was sitting in my teaching team, this is totally not in my notes, so this is a freebie. I was sitting in my teaching team and one of the other pastors, we were talking about this exact idea. And there's this tension I think we feel in the Western church that when we talk about this idea, that we feel this need that we have to become these great evangelists. I have to be the next Billy Graham. I have to be the next so-and-so. I have to be the... And I love, and I don't know who the quote goes to... Um, but one of the other pastors said, it's almost as if um, we have to remember that we're not called to be evangelists, but we are all called to be evangelistic. We may not be called to be an evangelist, but we are all called to be evangelistic. How are we living our lives evangel evangelistically? Each and every day. I'm not saying that you have to go quit your job and become a preacher. I'm saying, though, that you have unique opportunities each and every day. You show up at that office or you pick up those phones or you go wherever you're going to be evangelistic and to model this exact thing. Some of the ways that we've done that as a church is we started hand-to-hand -hand. Our hand-to-hand, -hand, I, I think, is not even two years old, really. It's not even a year old. <laughs> it's like barely sitting up, not maybe kind of almost crawling. You know what I'm saying? And what we thought for this hand-to-hand -hand ministry was like, we'd take like baby steps. You'd watch it grow. We'd get the cute pictures of it stumbling and maybe falling a little bit. No, it like took off running. And then it started to sprint. And we're like, what is happening here? But here's the cool part about it. God has provided not just the resources, but even the right models, the right people in the right times and the right strategies to make this ministry so successful. It's also looked like our community services, the service in the park and having service outdoors, even when it was forced upon us in a way with COVID and everything, these moments, there was people that were driving by or walking by that would just even pause. Just even pause to hear the music. It, it also looked like our community food help. I can't tell you how many people would just call or show up and just say, hey, look, I, I, I just got a job working right behind you guys. I'm just moved to this this area, all of my money is taken up because I had to put it down for a down payment. I have nothing and I'm starving. I haven't ate for three days. What do, what do I do? And it's a simple phone call where I get to just say like, hey, hang on one second. And, and our volunteers are over here and they're giving them two boxes worth of food. Hey, is this going to help you get through for the next week and a half or so? This is way more than I need. I don't need to take all this. No, you can because God's providing it. It looks like our community events, the trunk or treats, the, the moments where we invite people in, the VBS. 
Those moments where our community gets to just be a part of the church in just small little ways. That they get to feel the love and the impact of the church in their life. Or what about the financial assistance through benevolence? Or this past holiday season, the gift cards that we gave, gave away almost $1,000 in gift cards to families in Comstock Park. To have a Christmas, to have basic needs met. This is what it looks like. And here's what excites me. I love all of that. But it can look even bigger and better and more chaotic yet. It can look like a deepening relationship between us and the school or community areas, community organizations. What would it look like for our church to become a hub, a hub for serving and volunteering, a hub for loving on and caring for the least of these? What would it look like for our church to have this sense in this place where when the schools and, and the other community places, the, the library and, and everywhere else, the police department, the sheriff department, the Michigan State Police says, hey, I know you're having a hard time. I know this church though. You can show up there and they're going to love on you and you're going to feel Jesus. What would it look like for that to become what we're known for? I don't know about you, but that excites me because there's more to come. There's more to come. But all of this stems, all of this stems from one thing. And it's the why we do what we do. It's because we are made to be his manifestation and conduit a blessing to the world. Bob Goff, another one of my best friends. I met him once. I do have a picture with him. Love the guy. Bob Goff, one time, uh, in one of his books, he says, no one leads people to Jesus. He, Jesus, leads people to himself. So all the pressure is off. Just go love everybody. Woo! Like, if we understood the dynamic of that quote, it, the pressure is off. There's a reality. I can't mess this up. I can't mess this up. The pressure is off. Just go love everybody. Why do we do that though? Why do we love the people in our community? It might be just because that the person, the mother trying to care for her four kids in a hotel room needs to see Jesus through the people she encounters at the gas station. Or maybe it's the drug addict on the corner who just needs to see Jesus by those who just drive or maybe even stop by and help out. Or what about the teen working to help the family survive? They need to see Jesus and the customer checking out in the grocery store with a smile on their face. Everybody knows everybody's understaffed. We have a pivotal opportunity as Christians, by the way, to show the love and grace of Jesus Christ every single day, every single place we go. And it's hard sometimes, but we can choose to live in the why we do what we do. We are created for a purpose on purpose, to be as conduit of blessing and manifestation to the world around us. As we've looked at this journey of the temple these few weeks, we understand that it was a dwelling place, the Garden of Eden. And then it moved into a tent, the tabernacle in Exodus. And then even Solomon's temple that he built and the beauty of all of that. And the temple was known as a house of prayer that God manifested his presence, manifested his spirit there for anyone to come and worship. But we also understand it was flawed and it was actually desecrated and destroyed by corruption internally. And what's intriguing is when you read this book, when you read the word of God, the OT ends with more questions than answers about the temple. 
We're left literally at the end of the Old Testament being like, so what in the world is this temple? Where do we go? What happens? And then there's this beautiful thing that happens. John chapter one. And I love, I love, I love how the message version puts it. And this is what it says. John chapter one, verse 14. The word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. This is the NIV version. This is like the teaching version, right? Here's like, Kyle's like, oh, this is my type of version. You know what I'm saying? This is what it says. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the hood. Come on. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one of a kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. I love the idea that Jesus, God himself, put on flesh and blood and moved into the hood. I resonate with that. I resonate with Jesus moving into our neighborhoods, moving into our streets, infiltrating the very places that the world would be like, yeah, that, that's a place not for Jesus. And Jesus pops up and he's like, what's up, y'all? Let's have a party. This is my Jesus. This is my Jesus, the one who comes and, and, and is with us. And it's the same word that is used here for dwelt. It's the same word that God gave to Moses when he commanded him to make a tent for his dwelling place. It's the same exact word. John, all the way back into Exodus, same exact word. Jesus came so we could become. His life and death made it so that not only God to dwell with us, but for us to dwell with him. And here's a simple reality, maybe. Maybe for some of us, we have to understand that. If God's temple, or sorry, if God's people are the temple of the Holy Spirit, then where his people are, his presence should be evident. Can we let that one sink in? If God's people, we understand this, if God's people are the temple of the Holy Spirit, then wherever his people are, his presence should be evident. When people see God's people, they should see him. Because it's through his people he reaches the world. His temple is now more mobile than ever. Because when his people move, his presence moves too. It's not like his temple now is just uh, locked to this building. As I was literally sitting, thinking about this message, I believe it was March 15. And I, I still remember this phone call. March, I want to say it was around March 15, 2020. I called Josh and I remember talking about this coronavirus and everybody's starting to shut down. And I remember having a conversation with him of like, man, like, here's what I'm thinking. Like, what are you thinking too? And I, I remember calling some of our lead team members and being like, here's what I'm thinking. What are you thinking too? And there was this dynamic tension across the globe, by the way, of what do we do? And for, for many of us, I'm sure many of us would actually love to forget the month of March 2020. But I can't. I remember that tension. I remember the struggle of what to do with church. 
I remember the lead team and, and having conversations and, well, what do we do? How do we handle this? Where do we go from here? How do we keep meeting but not put people at risk? How do we, how do we have service safely? What does that look like? And maybe you're just like me. Any moment you opened up your social media feed, it was just like chaos. <laughs> you're like, I don't know. I don't know what to do. That was one of the moments, March 2020, where I remember thinking to myself, Lord, what in the world have you called me to? I didn't sign up for that. I didn't sign up to be a pastor in a pandemic, by the way. That was not in the job description. Did you know that? But what's been intriguing is this, is that as I was wrestling with this tension with our teams, I remember reading a blog post from Eugene Cho. Eugene Cho is a, um, he's a pastor. He's the CEO of a company called Bread of Life, and he's an author. And at the end of March, early April, this blog post came out, and he, he wrote this whole entire blog post, and this is just a little excerpt of it, and, and it captivated me. And he said this, for, for those of us maybe disappointed in closed church, remember that when the church began with Pentecost, there were no buildings. There was no fancy productions or even spotlights. It was just people. It was just the Holy Spirit and the glorious gospel, the good news. The building may be closed, but the church is still alive. What's intriguing is when we remember Pentecost, the, the church was scattered in Acts chapter 1. Move forward about seven chapters. In Acts chapter 8, there is a radical and serious growth that happens. Why? Because the church left the building, so to say. I can't forget March 2020. Not because it was a pivotal moment for me personally, but because there was so much that I believe God was starting and stirring and moving in us as a church that he used March 2020 as a springboard to launch some stuff, to change some stuff, to reevaluate some stuff. So why do we do it? Why do we do what we do? It's because we're called to be conduits of blessing. Tim Keller says that the main way Christians can become a resource to the broader culture is by restoring the church to be in a well-known community of forgiveness and reconciliation. When people think of the church right now, what do they think of? Is it what? Intolerance. Intolerance. I think of a lot of stuff. My question, or maybe for me, not even the question, my thought is right now, though, that when people think of the church, they don't think of the church the way that Jesus sees the church. And I think we can do so much with the opportunities we've been given. Reconciliation, love, forgiveness. Essentially, we're called to be the manifestation of Christ and to be his conduit of blessing. Simply put, as we close today, I want to invite Josh up. I want to just ask really like two questions. How can you and I embody why of Christ and what we do? So the first one is this, is who is that one person that God has been nudging you to share who he is with? 
For me, I have a close buddy who lives in another state, but his sister-in-law doesn't live that far away from our church. Sister-in-law who I know very well. Sister-in-law who is a very sweet girl. So for me, it's my buddy's sister-in-law. And to continue to reach out to her, to continue to invite her in the conversation of joining us here on Sunday morning. To find community, to find meaning and belonging. It's also the old student that I ran to at Pizza Hut the other day. I'm standing in line and here he walks in and he just looks at me and he's like, Kyle. And I was like, holy smokes, man. What are you doing here? I got to chatting with him. Last time I saw him, he was a a sophomore in high school. One of the most phenomenal soccer players I've ever met. He's adopted from overseas and he was talking about how he lost touch with the church. And he lives right down the road on Alpine. And I'm standing in Pizza Hut with my sweats on and with him and his sweats on. And it was a continued conversation of, man, I'd love for you to join me. I'll be very honest. I told him, hey, you show up. I'll take you out to lunch wherever you want to go after church. Whatever it takes. It's also my old high school acquaintance. And I'll be very honest with this one. We didn't like each other. But for some odd reason, him and I just continue to have conversations in my Facebook messages. He hates the church. He sees so much wrong with the church. Because the church burned him and hurt him. I have a unique opportunity through Facebook messages to just continue a conversation to maybe embody what it means to love, forgive, and reconcile. The greatest way to get over a hurt from the church is for somebody to actually experience and see the church being the church. And I don't think I get it right all the time. But I want to try. So what chances is God providing in your daily life this week to model and embody him to others around you? I believe that God places people in our lives not by coincidence. It's not coincidence I'm standing at Pizza Hut and this old student walks in who's searching and longing for community. It's not coincidence. But maybe, just maybe, it could just be a divine moment that God has in store. Are you going to embrace those moments? Are we going to embrace those moments? To be loving hands and feet, inviting hands and feet to a world that desperately needs to hear there's hope and there's love in the name of Jesus. Part of us growing in our faith is sharing our faith. Again, you might not be called to be an evangelist, but we are all called to be evangelistic. If we want to cultivate the temple, then we need to spread the temple and the good news to the world. Why? Because we've always been called to be a conduit of blessing and the manifestation of Jesus to our world. 
I love how Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it. The church is not a religious community of worshipers of Christ, but it's Christ himself who has taken form among his people. We're positioned for a unique opportunity each and every day to model and show what it means to love like Jesus. My hope is, is we take advantage of it. I want to invite you to stand and pray with me. Father, we just come before you and we just, um, we just fall before you, actually. We submit our plans to you. We submit our lives to you. We give it all to you, Lord. And we ask that in your name, in this time, in this place, Lord, that you would remind us of what you've called us to be. And that as you put specific opportunities and people in our lives, in our, in our paths that we cross, Lord, that we would just take advantage of those. And that we would embrace it. Embrace your calling on our lives. And Father, I ask that just this morning, if, um, if there's somebody here today that is just feeling this nudge of asking more questions about you, who is this Jesus or what, what in the world is going on with this guy? Lord, I ask that they would take the next step, that they would come find someone, that they would find me or, or someone and just ask those questions, Lord. If today's a day for somebody to say, I know I've known about Jesus, but I never knew him personally. And today I want to know him personally, that they would step forward, that they would take that step and become a believer and put their faith and trust in you, that they would acknowledge their sins before you and they would accept your forgiveness. And maybe, Lord, there's somebody here today that says, I've been waiting to take that next step of faith, but it's never been the right moment, the right time. If that's somebody today, Lord, that they need to take the step of baptism, Father, I pray that you would move them today to not leave this place until they step in that. God, we just give you our lives. We give you our, our hearts. And whatever you move us and call us to do, Lord, we submit to you. Continue to use us, Lord. Continue to use us. And we pray this in your name. Amen.